Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned to Gerar. Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she's married. And Abimelech, now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? He did, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. And we're just going to skip down to verse 17 because this is kind of connected with that. Verse 17 of chapter 20. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Okay, so we see that Abraham journeys and now he, he leaves this area of, um, of Hebron. Remember, he's, he's by the Oaks of Mamre, which are right by Hebron. And he's going to leave and he's going to go about 25 miles south, uh, 25 miles southwest. And, and then he's going to come to this area in, called the Negev, which is the southern part. And he settles between Kadesh and Shur. <clears throat> Kadesh we we know exactly where Kadesh is. Sure is is uh, uh, n- not not uh, not uh, uh, positive where that is. But then he journeyed to Gerar. So let me show you kind of where on the map this is. <clears throat> so Hebron is over here, and and remember, God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, which were down in this valley area. Uh, it had been really plush before that. That's now all been destroyed. Abraham had walked up on this mountain with with uh, the Lord, and they had looked down over into this right right across. And so this this scale bar is 20 miles, so it's not that far across here. So now he's by the Oaks of Mamre here. Hebron was the only tiny little land that Abraham ever owned <clears throat> was in Hebron. God said, "All this land is yours," but he didn't absolutely own it. The only part of the land that he owned was a little part of land where Sarah eventually is going to be die and be buried. He bought a plot of land, which is right in Hebron. And you can go to Hebron today and actually see that grave and see where Sarah is buried, Abraham was buried there, and the other patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are all buried there. And, and each one of them, their wives, except one of the wives who was an idol worshiper, is not buried there. He proceeds down into the Beersheba area. This is the Beersheba area. This map doesn't show Kadesh. 
sure that 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 uh, uh, other city sure he he's settled between Kadesh and sure that's about down here and then he goes up to to Gerar which is right about here it's it's on the coast this is Philistines territory this Beersheba is where Ben Gurion University is right now so I've been there many times this is extreme desert really intense desert down here and uh, uh it's not a whole lot better here, but you're, at least you're up on a mountain over here. It's really intense down here. So the question is, why would he, why would he go that 25 miles down there? And uh, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you can read the rabbinic writings, and <clears throat> some, of them, <clears throat> some of them are accurate, some of them are not accurate, uh, uh, but, but we just have to do the best we can. The rabbis write that the reason Abraham moved from from Hebron, where he had been for more than 20 years, is that when Lot had that incestual relationship with his daughters, it was such an embarrassment to the family that people looked upon him and his family with disdain, and so he moved away from there. Or, it, you know, or there's other writings that say that after the destruction of Sodom, it was so involved in that destruction that people just wanted to leave that entire area even though he was 20 miles away on the other side of the 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 sea but the rabbis really say that it was because of the embarrassment of what lot had brought on the family bible doesn't tell us exactly why but it says he goes there and he uses the same line that he had used with sarah previously where he said she's my sister remember he said the same thing to pharaoh king of egypt she goes into Pharaoh's house before Pharaoh can touch her. God curses the, the Pharaoh's whole family. And Pharaoh says, what's going on here? And he calls Abraham. Abraham he says, why did you say that this is your, your, your sister? And, uh, um, and so, so he gives a bunch of stuff to Abraham to make up for it. Slaves and goods and, and lots of stuff and se- sends them away. Very similar thing happens here that that now Abraham says of Sarah, his wife, this is my sister. And so Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Later on in the chapter, we're going to see a little more details why this, what, what, what was going through Abraham's mind. But he, he says that these people don't fear God. They're going to see my wife. They're going to take her. Now, remember, Sarah is now 90 years old, maybe late 89, but she's 90 when, when uh, her son is born. Uh, Isaac. The promise has already been given. This is a very short three-month period from the time that the promise was given to Sarah specifically, saying at this time next year, I'm going to come back. During It was the next day that God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, and now either she's beginning to be pregnant, or she's, she's already, she's, uh, um, or, or she's, this is, it's in this short period before she, she's pregnant. She ends up in this house with, uh, uh, in, in, in this, uh, house of, of Abimelech, the king of Gerar. Abimelech is a Philistine. And, and, uh, uh, she ends up in his house. Now, what does the king of Gerar see in a 90 year old woman? Now, remember, people lived a little bit longer than they do now. A little bit. I think she lived to be maybe 125 or something. But still, 90, you know, is not a young woman, even for her. 
But we can't always look at it in the sense that he was looking for a woman that was really hot. Abraham had a lot of stuff. Remember, 15 years earlier, he had 300 and some odd fighting men. Men, trained fighters. Those were trained fighters. So if he had that many trained fighters, there were at least that many men that weren't trained fighters. So he had at least a couple thousand people 10 or 15 years earlier. So his group might be several thousand, two to five thousand people at this point. It's a lot of people. He's quite strong now. He comes with a woman who he's saying is my sister. We can understand why the, the, the king of Gerar, Abimelech, might want to marry into this family. You see the same sort of thing that, that Solomon was marrying into the family of Pharaoh, that there were these alignments. So he sees this and he, he, he tells his people, get this woman, this is his sister. This is the sister of a very wealthy man. And so it may just have been to establish a relationship with a, with a clan, with a family, rather than him looking at this woman in another way because she, she's not young. She's way past childbearing years. The scriptures already tell us this. And so then God comes. Now you see the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God gave Abraham. You see the outworking of the Abrahamic covenant. We'll get more into that next time. But it says, God appears to Abraham in a, to Abimelech in a dream in verse 3. And he says, in a dream to him, he says, Behold, you are a dead man. Can you imagine God coming to you and to saying, You are dead. Like, I mean, there's nothing you can do. This is God. Comes to Abimelech in a dream and says, Behold, you are a dead man. This is actually not much different than what he tells people today all the time. The scriptures say that if you are not in Christ, you are dead. You are spiritually dead. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. The scriptures tell us that if we be not in Christ, we are, we are spiritually dead. We are separated from Christ. There is a relationship. We are separated from God without Jesus in our life. We are separated from God, and the scriptures say that we are dead, spiritually dead. So he actually does say this to people all the time. If you do not know Jesus, you are spiritually dead. He comes to, to Abimelech in this dream, and he says, you are a dead man. He says, you are a dead man. Not meaning, not saying you will be. He says, you are dead. I mean, you're as good as dead. You're a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is married. Look at how God looks at the institution of marriage. Look at this. He really values this. What I like about this class is that most people in this class are not yet married. If you're married, then you're, then you're on the older side of this class. The majority of this class is not married, and I don't like to speak like this in a general church service because it heaps conviction on people. And I'm not here to convict people. I don't want to make them feel bad. But I'm just telling you how valuable God views marriage. He says, she's a married woman. You took her into your home. You are dead. That's how much he values marriage. Now look at Abimelech. This is, this is a, a, a Philistine. So Abimelech is a Philistine. 
He's not even a Jew. You're going to see Abimelech now praying and speaking to God very much like Abraham had prayed and spoken to God. Remember the first time we ever saw a prayer was in the last chapter when Abraham is appealing to God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah to save those four cities, actually the five cities that were going to be down there. And, and he's appealing and he's reasoning with God and they're dialoguing. And you see this and you say, wow, Abraham had an amazing relationship with God. Well, here is a man who's a Philistine, not of the Hebrew clan, and he's having a dialogue with God. In verse 4, Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? So God must have said other things to Abimelech other than you're a dead man. He must have said, I'm going to wipe out your whole nation too because here he's appealing on behalf of his nation. He says, are you going to to wipe out a whole nation even though we're blameless? God says, I'm not just going to kill you. I'm going to wipe out your, your, your whole nation, your whole city, Gerar. It's gone. As far as I'm concerned, it's dead because you took a married woman. And he's appealing. He says, we're blameless. Look at what confidence he has before the Lord. Confidence as Abraham had because his conscience was clean. In the integrity of his hands, he had taken this woman. This was perfectly fine in that generation. He's, he's of this area. He takes her into his clan. He's going he's gonna to give something for her. This is the way things worked back then. She was just the sister of this rich man. In verse 5, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said to me, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. You know, ignorance, ignorance about something will only, ex- will excuse us no longer than, than it continues. In other words, He was ignorant of a certain situation. He didn't know that this was the guy's wife. He was clean. But once he knows the truth, he has to deal with it. His ignorance of this situation, his cleanness of this situation, his innocence only lasted to the point that he knew. God says, he says, in the integrity of my hands, I've done this. There's nothing wrong with what I've done. You can actually go back and read the writings of antiquity of those of that era. This was perfectly fine what he did. Verse 6, Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So you see the confidence that comes when the conscience is good. His conscience was fine. He says, in the integrity of my heart, I did this. You see what confidence you can have in prayer when the conscience is good. That's why in the New Testament, over and over again, it speaks about our conscience. Make sure you have a good conscience before the Lord. If we do evil and are secretly hiding something, boom, that is a knife sticking in our conscience. And we come to God and there's a knife sticking out of it. 
out of our conscience. And we feel it and God sees it. This is why it's so important for the conscience to be right. Conscience, a clear conscience gives us great understanding in being able to speak with God and reason with Him. The conscience is so important. He said, he said, uh, uh, in, he says, God says to him in verse six, He confirms exactly what, what Abimelech had said to him. He says, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. Your conscience is clean. You didn't know that she was a married woman. And I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. I protected you because you thought you were doing the right thing. I protected you. You know, we look at the world and we think there's so much sin in the world. If it were not for God the devil would have much, much more sin going on. God didn't let the sin happen. God didn't let Abimelech touch her. God intercedes on my life over and over again. I'm telling you, my marriage, I love my wife so much. Roger said he thinks he has the greatest. I think I got the greatest. I, I mean, I would, I would match her against any woman I know. That woman is amazing. We've been married 37 years. I have never heard her speak evil of anyone. And you're like, come on. No, I haven't. I mean, I speak evil of people like almost every day. I mean, it's just part of my life. And I'm just mumbling this to myself about people. And very often I'm mumbling it about myself. But she has this amazing heart. I'm like, I look at her sometimes and say, how can you be like that? I want to be you. I just want to be you. I mean, how, how could you be like this? How could you have such a good heart? God looks at this and he, he says, he says, I've kept you from, from sinning. It is the Lord that has protected my marriage. It is not because Jim Tour is this amazing great husband that has protected this marriage. No, it is God has kept me from sinning that has protected my marriage. I am telling you, with, with the things that go on in life, with the things that people experience, I got married at the age of 22. All right, so I got married as a young man. I was just finished my first year of graduate school. And, and uh, um, so, so I was a young guy. There's lots of things and temptations that come at people in life. Lots of experiences that come at people. And it wasn't because I was this great he-man that could resist all the temptations, like, bring it on. Won't, uh, no, it's because God said, I didn't let you sin against me. I didn't let you. That's who I am. It is God who protected me in my marriage. I am telling you with the experiences that have come upon me, that are no different than the experiences that come upon you. No different. If an individual had just given me the wink of an eye, I would have melted. And the cleanness of the morality in my marriage would have been lost. I'm telling you, that's just the way men are. If, if, if there had just been, you know, a few words spoken, 
and just the revealing of just an instance of something, I would have melted. I would have crumbled. Because the same testosterone that runs through you was running through me when I was 22. That's what protected me is God. I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. God protected my marriage. God looks at me and says, I kept you from sinning against me. I kept you from destroying your marriage. I saved your marriage. And I am like, yes, it is absolutely you. It is nothing in me. There is such weakness in me. Such struggle in me. There is nothing in me that protected this. It is all God. And God looks upon us with favor. You follow God. You honor Him. You rise up in the morning and meditate on His Word and cry out to Him, Lord, keep me from temptation and deliver me from evil. And that works because salvation is true. It is not a sham. It works. God protects us from temptation and He delivers us from evil and He protects our marriages. If you think you can go walking into marriage and just based on your own fortitude, that thing is going to stay good and right. You're wrong. Satan will pick you up and toss you to the wind like you are nothing were it not for God interceding and protecting you. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as chaff from wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. I have prayed for you. It's, the scriptures tell us that Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. Jesus lives to pray for us. Why is Jesus alive? The Bible says he lives to pray for us. It is all because of God. I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. Oh, I just, my mind races back through my life of all the situations that I was in. And they're no different than the situations that you've been through. And I'm like, oh God, had you not been in that situation, there would have been destruction. Destruction of the marriage and the loss of this precious woman that I love. Or at least we would have this amazing pain and stain there that would just bruise to this day. Had it not been for God that didn't let me do certain things, that didn't let me step beyond where I was supposed to step, it had nothing to do with my fortitude, nothing to do with my strength. It is God. It is God who intercedes, God who looks on marriage, God who protects in this. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read from verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. God values marriage. This is why you be very careful about how you move into marriage. 
be very careful about this. I urge you to be careful about how you move into marriage. Surround yourself with counselors whom you respect, who can speak into your life because they want protection for your soul. Because what happens is you, you meet this person, you meet this young man or you meet this young woman and you think, this person's the greatest. And you get, you get these small molecules running through your body that can be so deceptive and they just grab hold of your brain and they're so deceptive in what they can do. And it doesn't take much. Remember, you can take Mother Teresa, you can give her just a little bit, you can give her a milligram of certain material and you can make her into a mass murderer. How do you do this with a Mother Teresa? But chemically, chemically, you can do this. It only takes a small amount of chemicals to change brain action. Some guys are enamored with women, and I'm like, I just don't see it. And some women are enamored with men, I'm like, I don't see what you see in that person. I just, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. You want to surround yourselves with counselors that aren't being deceived by these small molecules that can that can speak rationality in your life. And sometimes you meet really good people and then you get all this confirmation around it. That's why you want to be really careful with marriage. The Bible says we shouldn't be unequally yoked. You don't want to be married to an unbeliever. You say, well, I love her and, you know, she'll come around. Well, she may not or he may not. And I've seen many instances of that. God really cares about marriage. Marriage is to be held in honor. This is an important thing. You don't want to mess this thing up in life. You get this thing wrong in life, it's miserable. I see it all the time. It's miserable when you get this thing wrong. Marriage is to be held in honor, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. If you look... This is, this, I'm reading from the New American Standard. New American Standard and the NIV take great liberality. They say, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. If you look in the Young's Literal Translation or the King James or the Geneva Bible, which predates the King James, it is all clear. That word marriage, that second word marriage is not there. It says, and the bed is to be undefiled. And the bed is to be undefiled. Marriage is to be held in honor and the bed is to be undefiled because fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And there is this feeling among people that as long as I'm not married, I can sleep around all I want. Once I get married, then, then, you know, then it's just for one person. That's a lie. The bed is to be undefiled. The bed is to be undefiled. This is what he says. The bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. He's talking about Fornicators, people that are engaging in sex before marriage. And adulterers, people who are engaging in sex beyond their marital partner. Both of them God will judge. This is what he says. He says you hold this marriage in honor because what you do in the bed before marriage has great effect in the marriage. Remember, you lower standards before marriage, they'll be lowered in marriage. He says, don't let it be defiled. Leave it undefiled. This is why we cry out to God now in the state that you're in. 
And if you're sexually active now, today is the day to stop. You fall on your knees, you beat your breast like a sinner, and you say, God, forgive me. From this day, let it change. From this day, let it change. I don't know if the partner that you're sleeping with now is eventually going to be your husband or your wife. But you stop the relationship right now. And if that partner wants to leave because they're not getting what they got before, let them leave. You don't want that person. Because you may end up in marriage and you may be sick and not be able to give it to them and then they're going to leave anyway. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I'm not judging anybody. I'm not judging anybody. My life is such a mess, I can't judge anybody. God will judge. God judges this. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to end with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be reading from verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's powerful. I didn't write that list. If I wrote that list... I'm sure somebody would want to say I should lose my job. But he didn't write that list. You can take God's job away from him. Try. And you try to do that. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. That's people who are having sex outside of marriage. They're not going to enter. They're, they're not. It, it, says, it says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You tell me you're saved. I'm glad you're saved. I'm just telling you what I look at here in the scriptures. I think you'll be saved, but you're not going to enter the pleasant kingdom of God. That's what it says. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous. You know what covetous is? That is, is my desiring somebody else's wife. My desiring what somebody else has that is not mine. That's what covetous is. Nor drunkards, nor revilers. See, it says drunkards. We covered drunkenness last week. We covered drugs and what those do. When we, where it causes us to lower our inhibitions. Nor revilers, nor swindlers. You know, what we do at work, what we do with our finances, the people with whom we deal, they're not going to enter the kingdom of God if they're swindlers. The beautiful verse is, it starts in verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. How beautiful that is. Oh, the beauties of our Lord Jesus Christ. Such were some of you. Might we even say, such were all of us. I think we can all say, such were all of us.
but you were washed. It's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is all because of Jesus and His blood. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus died, the just Jesus, for the unjust, us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. If you're godly, good for you. Jesus didn't die for you. He died for the ungodly. That's who we are. That's who we are. And He washes us and He cleanses us. Let this day be a day of repentance where you cry out to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And pray that if you are not married, that God would set you in the right marriage. That that thing would be set right. You want to get that thing right. Because God honors marriage. Honors it. Honors it. So much so that he says to a king, you're a dead man because you are affecting this marriage. And the guy's like, I didn't know. And he says, I know you didn't know. But now you know you got to deal with it. He couldn't play that game. I didn't know, so it's okay. No. As soon as you know, then you got to deal with it. As soon as he knew, he had to deal with it. And this is why I say a lot of times young people have never been taught. They have never been taught. But once you've been instructed, now you're obliged. You can't play this game anymore. I didn't know. Once you know, you've got to change. You can't say, well, you know, I'm in this relationship with a guy. It's going to take a while to break up. No. Once you know, you've got to deal with it. And Abimelech dealt with it that very day. Let's pray. Abba, Father, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his goodness, he has washed us, he has cleansed us with his very own blood, and he has sanctified us and set us apart. It's all because of Jesus. It is in his name that we are washed. Father, I pray for the young believers who are here, that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner that they would be offering up to you cries saying, Lord, forgive me. And that they would dedicate their lives from this day to live for you. Because marriage is to be held in honor and the bed is to be undefiled. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers that are here who are dead men. They are dead men and women. Spiritually dead. God says they are dead. Father, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. 
Wash me by the blood of Jesus and come into my life. Father, your mercy and your grace abound on these young people, I pray. Lord, it just breaks my heart to see them make wrong decisions and thereby destroy their lives. It just breaks my heart. Father, I pray that they make the right decisions, that they make the right decisions to follow you, to honor your word, because your word is true. Father, give them good lives and good marriages. Father, I pray that they would have the joy in their marriages that I have in mine. Father, that they could be married to a spouse that loves you and honors you and that they could have great joy in their marriage. Father, the grace of God be there, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.